Vegas Video Network Studios, just steps from the Las Vegas Strip, it's Top of the Food Chain. And now your host, he's one part mohawk, two parts attitude, and a touch of what the f***, it's Al Mancini. Nothing beats forced applause. I love that, people. Thank you, guys. Um, welcome, everyone, to Top of the Food Chain, the show that makes um, Guy Fieri look like Martha Stewart. Okay. <laughs> we are here, just off the Vegas Strip, here to talk about food, all kinds of food, and hopefully teach you a little thing or two, and hopefully get me a couple shots of whiskey is usually what I try for out of every show, and I think we're on track for that one today. Um, first of all, I want to let everybody out there know that if you've got any questions, you can email them to us at food at top of the, excuse me, food at vegasvideonetwork.com. We've also got a live chat room going on right now, so if you have something that you really need to hear an answer to right away, hit us up there. Or if something I says really, say really pisses you off today, there's a good chance that might happen, especially given today's show. Um, shoot back and tell me how stupid I am. Fine with that one as well. All these shows, of course, are archived on iTunes. So you can check them all out anytime you want. I also want to plug um, some of the other great shows. You know, now that I've been here on Vegas Video Network for about three weeks, I've been trying to get catch everybody's show. Um, Pub Crawl, I love because it's about drinking, of course. Just saw um, my producer Scott, who's always chiming in during my show. He's got his own thing going on. Um, it's called Living in Las Vegas. I got to check that out for the first time the other night. Really enjoyed that one. Um, and they've got a golf show. I don't golf unless it's miniature, so I don't really watch that one. But if you guys do golf, check that out. It's called Golf and Other Four-Letter Words. Okay, in the meantime, let's kick off today. If any of you have been following any of my writing this year at home, you know that I've been doing a lot about veganism. Um, kind of my New Year's resolution was to go vegan one day a week. You can read my articles at um, AOL City's Best or um, Las Vegas City Life explaining my reasoning. I'm not going to bore you with that one more time. I do want to talk about vegan food, however, <laughs> because you know I've been having a lot of really great vegan meals this year, um, a lot of stuff I make at home, a lot of stuff I have out. Um, Win Las Vegas has great vegan food out there. But I went in the other day, actually my wife went into the local Fresh and Easy and picked up something, here we go, I don't know if you can read that, but this is supposed to be delicious baked chicken. It's called Gardein, like Guardian and Protein, I guess is what they put it together. It looks really good. I mean, you know, it looks nice and tasty on the box and I'm like, mm, this could be good. So I called her the other day, I was at a food festival, she was home, and I said, so how was that stuff? Did you try it out tonight? And she said, not only could she not eat it, but she could not even come to feed it to the dogs. That's how absolutely horrible it was. So of course I went home and I had to try it myself. Can't say I disagreed with my wife on this one. I rarely do. But I want to show you guys this stuff because um, there's a point I'd really like to make about it. This, this little thing is what they claim is supposed to be similar to chicken. Okay. We cut into it here. I'll try to kind of, I don't know if we can get this on film, but um, got it here. Just slice into it. And no, there's nothing that really resembles chicken. I'm not going to take another bite of it, because I've had way too many bites of this thing so far. Um, it's kind of like a cross between eating a sponge if a sponge were to have gristle in it. I mean, that, that's what they like. And um, again, I look at what's in it. It's water, so soy protein isolate, vital wheat gluten, expeller pressed canola oil, organic ancient grain flour. I mean, it's just on and on, things that yeah, things that you just would not, you know, 
consider meat. And it brings up a question. I've had this with a lot of people since I've been trying my vegan thing. There are great vegetables out there. There are great proteins out there. Um, you know, less, a couple days ago, I made a, um, a great corn chowder. Instead of using milk, we used um, a cashew cream, just you know, ground down the cashews. It was incredible. Instead of using bacon, we used smoked jalapenos to give it that smoky flavor. Really good stuff you can do. So why do all you vegans out there and all you vegetarians feel the need to take crap and make it look like meat in order to try to fool us into thinking it's meat when it just sucks? And you know, I, um, I know, know a vegan chef named Hal Ronan. I've been using his cookbook a lot. It's called The Conscious Cook. Great chef. He's working with Steve Wynn on their food over there at um, Wynn Las Vegas and all those chefs. Went to a festival that he had, had some incredible food there. Again, he's the guy that taught me to use um, cashew cream and things like that, substitute stuff. So I, I figured Tal would not be into this, this fake. But I, I went and I looked at his book, The Conscious Cook. He actually refers to it as a great transitional option for people new to vegetarian cuisine. Tal, buddy, I got to tell you, you are so wrong about this. This is the shit that makes people not want to go vegetarian or vegan. This is the stuff that when people try it, they say, oh my god, that's absolutely disgusting. Why would I ever do it? So I just kind of want to warn people out there, if you're thinking about going vegetarian or vegan, don't use this fake, phony, pseudo meat garbage that is on the market out there. Look, if you're a hardcore vegetarian and vegan and you enjoy it, good for you. Not, not trashing you for that. That's, everyone has their own tastes. But I'm just warning people that want to try going vegetarian or vegan, don't use this processed stuff. Don't use this store-bought stuff. Don't use fake meat. And if somebody out there wants to explain to me why in God's name, with a world full of great nuts and vegetables and um, all sorts of places to get proteins, why you feel the need to use this pseudo crap I'd love to hear from you on how that happened. But um, anyway, so that's kind of my rant for the day and my warning to people that want to try going vegetarian and vegan. Really, get yourself a book like The Conscious, um, the Conscious Cook by Tal Ronan. Really learn how to enjoy vegetables and um, legumes that'll give you protein, of course, and things like that. Don't waste your time with stuff like this. OK, there's my warning. There's my critique for the day. We will be right back with one of my more embarrassing stories of the week um, right out of this, after this station ID. No pressure. Hi, I'm... <laughs> Hi, I'm Dennis Silvers from... Can't think of the name of my damn show. Golf and other four-letter words, and you're watching the Vegas Video Network, I think. Okay, welcome back. And that was that golf show that I told you I don't watch because I don't know how to golf. But um, if you do golf, you should definitely check that one out. So I've been teasing this on Facebook um, all week. I had kind of one of those really embarrassing moments. Um, every once in a while, you say something completely asinine. At least I do. And occasionally, it even happens when I'm not drinking. Just occasionally, you just have one of those brain fart things, and you say something really, really stupid. Um, now, I'm supposed to be an expert on food and restaurants and, and pubs and things like that here in Las Vegas, so the fact that I would make a stupid comment about a, a restaurant here in Las Vegas is even worse. The fact that I made it in front of a room full of media makes it even worse. And the fact that I made it to one of the biggest rock stars on the planet probably made it the crappiest moment of my career. <laughs> So I'll tell you what happened. I was backstage at, um, at the Billboard Music Awards the other day, Sunday night, and in the press room, not hanging out or anything. But they, the musicians all come back, and they answer some questions. And who should come back but you two? 
Yeah, there they are. That's also the back of Johnny Katz's head for all you local, um, <laughs> you local readers of the sun. But there you go, you two, biggest rock band on earth. They're, they're back here, um, great guys. I've met them a few times, um, always really cool. At the very end, I just can't keep my mouth shut. I'm working, I should just be filing my stories, but I can't keep my mouth shut. At the very end, I say something to Bono to the effect of, you know, when you were in town about 15 years ago for um, Pop Mart, you made some headlines by going to some local Irish pubs. I asked him if he'd been to any local Irish pubs while he was here. He told me no, and then unexpectedly asked me which I would recommend. Kind of caught me off guard. And the first thing that came to mind as I was going to list a few of them was the place where, a place where I knew he had actually been or I'd heard he had actually been, and that was the Crown and Anchor. So I told Bono that he should go to the Crown and Anchor if he wants a good Irish pub, <laughs> which is bad. Here's what Bono had to say in response to that one. Was that it? What was it called? The Crown and Anchor? Now, normally an Irish pub would not be called the Crown, but, um, <laughs> but since the Queen has come to our country, um, now that's possible. And uh, so do continue. Um, continue to go. So there you go. Obviously, if you don't get the joke at home, the Crown, of Anchor, the Crown and Anchor, of course, is an English pub, not an Irish pub. I knew that fact. I was just stupid. And... Um, <laughs> And I was stupid in front of Bono in a room full of the media. But, you know, I spend all my life calling out restaurants when they suck and calling out waiters when they suck. So I figure since I sucked on this particular occasion, I should call myself out. I also figured, that's right. I have no mercy, no pity, even on myself as a restaurant critic. But I did figure I owe it to the good people of Ireland to kind of re revisit Irish pubs and talk a bit. You no, know, most of us have been to an Irish pub. But there's a lot going on in them, um, a lot of stuff you may not know. I uh, maybe need a little introduction to the whiskeys, that's always good. Talk about Irish coffee. Also talk about the food, which has kind of experienced a bit of a renaissance in recent years. So with me here today, I have Paula McKenna. She's the assistant manager at RERA, the, right. the newest Irish pub here in Las Vegas, getting a ton of attention. Apparently, I should have said Rira to Bono. That would have been fantastic and correct if you had as well. And he probably would have known us too. Yeah, I understand <laughs> his cousin actually manages one of your pubs, right? Well, yeah, there, yeah, there is a connection there, absolutely. So yeah, he yeah. would have been well. He would be. He would know uh, Rira, absolutely. And he would not have mocked me. Probably not. But look, didn't you get a joke with him? So you'll be remembered for that. Yes, so at least I can. <laughs> yeah, but I would. I don't know if I could show my face at a U2 concert anymore. <laughs> I'm sure you'd be front row with backstage tickets from him personally. <laughs> so I want to talk a bit. First of all, the difference, obviously, besides the names and the, the, um, the places they come from, main difference between an Irish pub and an English pub, though? Well, to be honest, I guess, really, what we're all about is really the fun and atmosphere. And that's what Rira's whole ethos is about, and also the Irish population. We go to a pub, well, technically in Ireland, the whole social side is all about drinking and pub going because back in the day or even now, the weather is so bad that there's nothing to do except go to the pub on your weekends and your nights off. So that's where the whole Irish culture of drinking and the socializing came from. And to bring that to America now with Rira, it's carried on because the Irish always associate something good with an Irish pub because it's always fun, it's always crack. So. I mean, you can't sit here and say there's a huge difference between English and Irish, but for me, it's the atmosphere, it's the staff, it's the friendliness. It's like coming into your own apartment or your own living room with your friends and having a good time. So to me, that's the big difference. 
And the music's really more depressing in Irish pubs, isn't it? <laughs> it can be, it's usually it can they be. they cut off our heads and they buried <laughs> our babies and things like that, right? We've moved on <laughs> since those days, but you might get those odd songs still heard over the system, yeah. 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 Okay, but no, Irish pubs are great. And so I did go into Rera. Yes, and, absolutely. And, you know, I figured you guys could give me a crash course. You know, one thing that is interesting and that I have been noticing over the past maybe 10 or 15 years is there seems to be a bit of a renaissance when it comes to Irish cooking. For years, it was sort of known as very bland, but you know, it seems like a lot of guys like Michelin Guide and places like that are paying a lot more attention to Ireland. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely taken a change. I mean, when you look back over the last 20 years, typically it was your meat and two veg. I mean, that's what we all grew up on. That's what my parents grew up on, grandparents. But over the last few years, it's really taken those home comfort foods, but tweaking them to actually add more flavor to them. So we've still got the traditional side, like the beef and Guinness stews, but they're just more flavorsome. We've done some work with them. And I guess really that's where the renaissance is. But also, um, we've realized that it's not just about bland food and your potatoes and your carbohydrates. A lot of um, chefs in Ireland now are looking at all these different cuisines, but we're still using the same ingredients, but they're being tweaked and brought to another stage, really. We've got a good few. There's maybe five or six Michelin stars in Dublin alone at the minute. Um, there's some really great ones, and there's some really good chefs out there, too. So I think Ireland is definitely putting itself on the map in terms of food, and we're losing this whole idea of just being plain, bland, meat and potato and veg, you know, it's, it's definitely moved on from there. And I mean, you can go down to Dublin at any point or any of the big cities, even the countries, and find some little restaurant tucked away that could be a Michelin star restaurant or, you know, have two AA roses or... So yeah, absolutely, we're definitely branching out and it's definitely come a long way. Yeah, and you still will use potatoes in just about anything. We'll use it as much as we can, but we, we use it in different ways now. It's not your normal boiled potatoes or mashed potatoes. We use boxties, which are our grated gratin potato, kind of folded like a pancake. Yeah, we actually or, have a photo of a boxtie over there. Oh, if you right. can pull it up. Um, boxties are something I've you know had in many Irish pubs yeah. here, here around Las Vegas and around the country. And it's pretty much a potato pancakes, but it's used in the way of a crepe almost. With it nearly is. It's a really thin grated potato. And I guess it's kind of used as well as your leftover. So it's kind of that second dish when you have maybe a lot of potatoes. It's all grated down. It's very thin. It's uh, done like a crepe. So it's like a pancake. And then you put your choice of filling into it and flip it over with a nice sauce. So do we do a range of boxties that we run. They're actually really popular. The whole boxty idea came from the, uh, the Midlands of Ireland. It's really a kind of a country, country healthy dish as opposed to the city. And I had your chicken box, I have to yes, say. Yes, um, chicken and leek, yeah. Really good with the leeks. The leeks actually really made that dish. I yeah, that it really amazing. adds a great flavor to it. And yeah. again, that's something a bit more sophisticated than when people tend to think of when they think of traditional Irish. Well, that's cuisine. what we have found. And I think with Reroll, people will get a big surprise because traditionally people come in and, you know, they come to an Irish pub and they do expect your basic fish and chips or your stews. But when they come to us, they're really surprised at the standard and the level our food is at. We house grind all our own beef. We house brine our own corn beef you know we make everything from scratch and we do have a lot of traditional dishes that the recipes have completely been broken down and pieced back together to make sure it's the best out of what we have Right. So. And speaking of, I don't know if it's traditional, it seemed new to me. You had something called a, um, a potato cake, which again, I think we have a photo of over there. But is that traditional or is that something a bit more avant-garde that you're it's doing? It's probably a little bit more avant-garde, but it probably came from, um, again, you know, after your Sunday roast, having those extra potatoes left over. And it was kind of a case of, well, what can we do with them? And again, they were, you know, mixed with breadcrumbs and sautéed off in the oven. But definitely a little bit more avant-garde. And for us in Rira, they're actually... 
they're actually really good and they're a great seller and they're very unique taste with the balsamic reduction, the sour cream. They're actually fantastic, yeah. Very cool. Now, you spoke about, um, about corned beef and cabbage. Yes. And the corned beef and cabbage, and you say you brine it yourself. Explain what that process is. Well, the whole process, well, actually, it's funny because corned beef actually isn't a traditional Irish dish. It actually comes from the Irish emigrants who moved to America. Our traditional dish is bacon and cabbage, which was a cheaper cut of meat that the Irish could afford back in the day with the cabbage and the potatoes. So it was a cured, it was a salted product. And then the corned beef came because when the Irish emigrants then landed in America, they felt that the corned beef was a little bit more of a luxury. So they went on that route and tried to make it as it was a traditional, but it's actually not traditional Irish cuisine, the corned beef. It's more of a traditional tourist Irish cuisine but the whole brining process it's a long process the meat gets brined and it gets cured and uh, you know it's kind of like a brisket meat and then we use that for corned beef but we also shred it then for our Rubens which we make in-house too so you can actually get a lot of different flavors from the corned beef and the way it's cured and we've got a photo of your corned beef there which I, I was just kind of amazed I mean you brine it for so long I think you do yes. it for at least a week or yeah, preferably yeah, 14 absolutely. days yeah absolutely yeah 14 days it's brined for yeah so it's a long process and you need to keep checking in on it at each stage to make sure it's still where it needs to be well, what is the physical process of brining it Exactly. Or do you not do that yourself? No, we do. It's actually the <laughs> No, I meant you personally. Do you? Personally, I don't. I just make sure the chef has it when right. he needs it and he gets the next set out. But it is, it is a long process and it's done very, um, very detailed and the chef definitely looks over it at every point. Right. Yeah. And that was so um, tender. I mean, I was trying to reach over and grab some off my wife's plate, you know, like spearing it and it just fell in half. You yeah, know, you a lot of people think corned beef is this tough old cut of meat, you know, a cheap meat, but it's actually not. It's actually a really, really good piece of meat that when it's cooked right and cured well, it's a really good dish. And then when it's flavored properly with the bacon and the cabbage and the parsley sauce, that's what brings it all together. Okay. Um, Another, another dish, of course, that I had there was fish and chips. Yes. Now, that's a traditional English dish. It is, but it actually came to Ireland before the English got it. It was brought by an Italian emigrant who, landed, who supposedly landed in Cove and walked to Dublin. And he decided that he'd make his fish and chips and sell them outside a pub in a handcart. And that's how it took off. And supposedly his wife was uh, Italian, and she, in, well, I, I'm not good at Italian, but she used to call it one and one, like a fish and a chip. And that's how it got its name, one and one. And then they started opening shops because they realized that this was actually something that they could make bigger and make a business out of. So your typical fish and chip shop is, are all over England and Ireland, and we do a great fish and chip. Um, typically it's cod or haddock, and that's really important. A lot of places try and use like a cheaper white fish, but it's very important that you use the cod or the haddock. We use like a seven ounce is our smallest fish and chip. It's lightly battered in a beer batter and uh, lightly fried. And then our large fish is a 12 to 14 ounce, which some people have actually called a whale when it's been brought out to them because <laughs> yeah. it's a big piece. It was huge. The one you brought out to yeah, our table yeah. is just massive. Yeah, um, we got great but, comments So, Cotter Haddock, because I do know when you go to England, there are maybe 20. If you're just a late night stand after a night out drinking, yeah. you know, there's 20 different kinds of fish that you could choose from. Yeah, you actually can't state anymore just fish and chips. You actually have to state at home what fish you're actually using. And you'll find in a lot of them now, they'll use like cheaper cuts like the hake and these, all, these different fishes that I guess are 
cheaper to buy and had, there's more supply of them. But we're very particular that we keep with the tradition of real fish and chips. And for us, that's haddock all the way. And if we run out of haddock, we get a fresh in every day. And if we run out of that haddock, we'll stop selling fish and chips on the menu because our ethos is, well, if you're not getting the right thing, we don't want you to have it. Okay. So. Um, if people want to get the most legitimate Irish pub experience, yes. not just in your restaurant, but in yep. any Irish pub, where, what would you recommend they start with as they're dining? As they're dining, I definitely think, well, I mean, we all go for the soups to start, the potato cakes. Um, as an entree, definitely your bacon and cabbage, your sausages and mash, your beef and Guinness stew, or your shepherd's pie, of course, is a huge one, too. And then for dessert, we were never really very, we didn't have a lot of variety in terms of dessert. It was jelly and ice cream or a simple sponge cake or something, or a fruit trifle, which we have too. Layers of custard, fruit, and sponge is really, really good, actually. So I would stick with the authentic because that's how we know what to make really good, and it is really good. Okay, and yeah, I don't have pictures of them, but I also did try some desserts. I had, I think, a um, blueberry soaked the, in whiskey. The blueberry <laughs> crumble, yeah. They're fresh blueberries, and they're soaked in, like, um, a fruit juice and then topped with plenty of whiskey and then that's left overnight to soak in and it's topped with a lovely crumble and ice cream. It's really good. And that's what you have to love about the Irish. You Drink pretty much those in everything. Yeah, there's Guinness <laughs> yeah. or whiskey in pretty much everything. Absolutely, and but isn't it, doesn't it add to the flavor and that's what we want. That's cool. Okay, well, thanks a lot. Now, of course, another great part about dining in an Irish pub, everyone out there knows that the best thing about it is drinking in an Irish pub Absolutely. because that's, you know, that's, that's key. So we're going to have one of your bartenders on in just a second. Yeah. And he's going to walk me through some Irish drinking. And then you get to taste some, I guess, afterwards. I <laughs> certainly hope so. So we'll be right back. But first, we've got another station announcement. This is David Ivey for Pub Crawl. It's funny because this is David. You should, you should, no, you should just leave it on. Hi, I'm David Ivey from Pub Crawl, and you're watching the Vegas Video Network. And scene. And we are back. There, we are back now. Okay, hey, how are you, Junior? Hey, how are you doing, Al? Nice to nice officially meet you. Officially meet you, yeah. The, the bartender over at Rira. This is the man who gets you what you want at Rira, <laughs> which is some drinking. Now, I know you brought a few whiskeys down here to talk about, and you just have a huge book of whiskeys when we go into Rira. That's right. Um, Irish whiskeys, of course, because it's an Irish pub, but also scotch and other types of whiskeys. Could you explain to people what the basic difference is between an Irish whiskey and these other kinds of whiskeys? Well, the basic uh, difference between an Irish and a Scottish whiskey is Irish whiskeys are distilled three times, and they're aged uh, or three years in oak casks. And Scottish whiskeys are distilled uh, twice, and they're aged for two years or more. So that's, that's the major difference between uh, Irish whiskeys and Scottish whiskeys. Also, with Scottish whiskeys, they're dried over peat fire, which gives them that smoky texture. Now, I know Scotch whiskeys um, often use kegs or casks, excuse me, that come from America, actually, that have been yep. used for, by, say, Jack Daniels or someone like that. They'll use the fresh cask, and then they will sell it to, to the Scotch. Do the Irish use those same casks, or do you use fresh casks? We use fresh oil casks. Um, one of the unique things about Irish uh, whiskeys with regards to Scottish whiskeys is Irish whiskey is a very uh, neat finish, very smooth. Uh, Scottish whiskeys with using uh, American casks gives them um, that different flavor uh, with regards to the peatiness and 
also a big factor is the different regions which Scottish whiskies are made in. Uh, for example, Highland and Lowland whiskies in Scotland uh, will give you different flavors. Right. Okay, and again, yeah, I just want to show this yep. book here because, I mean, this is massive. This when you go into Rira, and it's just like whiskies after whiskies, pictures of the, you know, pictures of the distilleries and the booze. And you've got stuff in here that ranges up to, I think, a few hundred dollars a shot, right? Our most expensive whiskey is uh, from the Nepog Ranch. It's the Nepog 1951. And uh, that will set you back uh, $350 for a shot. Okay. But Next time, I'm, I'm assuming you didn't bring one of those for me to sample, huh? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I wouldn't either. It can I'm be arranged, really, I think. It I'm can really be arranged. not worth the $350 <laughs> shot of whiskey. It's, that, that would probably be wasted on me. I have had some good whiskeys, though. So yeah. wh what do you have here right in front of you? This is Powers whiskey. Um, basically, Powers is brewed in the Middleton Distillery in Cork. Uh, along with Paddy and Jameson and Middleton, very rare whiskey. Um, it's, uh, it's very smooth. We actually use it in a, one of our traditional drinks, which we're going to show you coming up, the Foyne's Irish Coffee. Mm -hmm. And uh, Powers was originally used in that Foyne's Irish Coffee recipe and uh, has been the staple for the original Irish coffee uh, ever since uh, actually 1943. Wow. Um, so, yeah, most people always go to Jameson's. That's kind of the go-to yeah. Irish whiskey when they're in an I Irish pub. It's what would you recommend if they want something a little different? Where would if you I was going to have something different, um, if, they, if, if it's someone that's basically starting off with whiskeys and a little bit intimidated, uh, Tullamore is a very basic whiskey, very easy to drink, very soft. Uh, if you're actually interested in whiskeys and you want to try something different, uh, we have a great whiskey. It's a, a Redbreast 12-year-old. Um, it's a little bit, it's distilled a little bit different, as in it's a pure pot still, which means uh, it, it's, it's not mixed in different pots, but the one uh, pot still, and uh, all those spirits are grand there. It's, it's a 12-year, very smooth. Uh, I actually like it if I had a nice dinner, like a steak. It's a nice whiskey to sip afterwards if you're going to treat yourself. We have a 12-year and a 15-year on occasion. Okay. Now, you mentioned Irish coffee, so I want to... Um I want to talk a bit about Irish coffee. We're going to actually have you give me the story about Irish coffee yep. and, um, and actually make one for me. But first, Scott is blinking away over there. Scott's got somebody in the <laughs> chat room. I do, and I often blink. Uh, Jackie, Jackie wrote, when you talked about the $350 shot of whiskey, she wrote, Mother of God, <laughs> ask him if it's phenomenal. It is. Uh, I actually was lucky enough to try it. There was uh, some kind uh, on our opening night with some uh, pretty cool regulars in, and... Uh, we tried it. Uh, I thought, personally, it was, it was a phenomenal whiskey. And what was unique about it was when we added a little bit of water to it, it actually enhanced the flavor. Hmm. Yeah. And where's that made? Uh, Nepog is, it's from the Nepog Castle brand whiskeys in Ireland. Okay. And uh, if you can tell Jackie, if she's intimidated by the price, we actually have uh, Nepog 1992 and 1993 and 94, which range from $14 to $19, which is more accessible. Right. And you get to try that in a Paul Castle experience. Well, you know, and that is, by the way, Jackie, not the most expensive whiskey here in town by far. Oh, if you could go over to Prime Steakhouse, and I think it's $1,050 for a, for a, I think it's a scotch. I believe it was, um, it was made for the Queen's coronation and then released on either her silver or her golden jubilee. $1,050? $1,050 a shot, yeah. And I think it's the only bottle this side of the Mississippi. You want to check that out again. It's not, on, not an Irish whiskey, so not really on theme, but I'm just saying if you want to blow some money, Jackie, that's where you, you know. <laughs> yeah. Because think of it this way. For one shot of that, you could have three shots of his best. There you go. So 
pretty much a bargain. His stuff is a bargain. Rerun's <laughs> yeah. got the bargain going on here. Uh, Scott, somebody else on there. Yeah, I just wanted to let you know that after telling her about the $1,000 shot, uh, she just fainted. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. We lost Jackie. So, um, you know, I was getting the story a little bit about Irish coffee. And yep. um, apparently, I'm going to ask you for the full story, but apparently, as I, as I heard it, it had something to do with the people in airports that were kind of missed their flights and needed to stay awake or something? It's, it's actually, um, it's a pretty cool story. It's, it's, uh, it originated in 1943. Um, it was an Irish airport in Foynes in Limerick. Uh, it was a very, very popular uh, airport. Uh, a lot of the airboats traveling across the Atlantic, that was their main uh, destination point from Ireland across the Atlantic. But being Ireland and the weather not being exactly fantastic, a lot of them trips were cancelled or had to turn around. Uh, one particular flight that was headed to New York in, uh, in 1943 was headed to New York, had to turn around because of bad weather conditions, and a restaurant was alerted to uh, put on some food and drinks for, for the passengers who were basically, you know, tired, wet and hungry. And there was a chef there, Joe Sheridan, and uh, he whipped up some coffees and decided, being Irish and mischievous, to add a little bit of whiskey to it. And uh, he served it to, to uh, everybody who had got off that flight. And rumor has it there was a hush in, in that little restaurant as everyone sat over the coffees and drank them. And uh, Irish coffee then, uh, as, as the myth has it, uh, uh, one of the, the passengers asked him, was it a Brazilian coffee? And he smirked that it was an Irish coffee. And it took off from there. And then, as I understand it, someone in San Francisco had heard this story and actually went and got that same chef and brought him, and that's how it was introduced to the United States. It was introduced to the United States. Um, a, gent a California guy from San Francisco had traveled to Ireland, and uh, at this time, the, sh uh, the airport had moved to Shannon. Uh, he had made contact with them, and uh, the recipe traveled back to the United States uh, via um, a gentleman who had a a place there which is now famous called the Buena Vista, and that's where it originated from leaving Ireland to uh, the U.S. Okay, well, I'm not a big coffee drinker, but yeah. you put whiskey in anything, and it Tastes pretty great. much, you know, <laughs> I warm to it quite quickly. So would you mix us up and show Absolutely. us the proper way to do this? Absolutely, no problem. Great, thank you. I think they're going to bring over our, our stuff. And yes, so, and you actually have your glasses, which we're about to show people. Um, these are actually from Foynes in Ireland, From Foynes. Uh, Did you steal them? Did you have to go over there and just kind of <laughs> like walk away with them in your pocket? That happens a lot in Irish bars, but we had a, we actually had to order them through Foynes. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't seen them anywhere else, so you're one of the few places I've ever We're the only seen. place that's actually doing the original Foynes Irish coffee right now in Las Vegas. Um, and we're, we're sticking true to the original recipe because we think it's a fantastic concept. Okay, so if people are doing this at home. So people are doing this at home. Uh, basically, we already have heated your foins glass. So you'll put your, your spoon in. How do you heat the glass? So you're going to use hot water, but you'll put your, your teaspoon in. Okay. Uh, you're going to leave it. We have already done it, but you'll add hot water to it. Um, after you add your hot water to it, you're going to add your whiskey. Okay. Uh, we use Powers whiskey for foins coffees, again, because that's the original. Just gonna add some whiskey. There you go. And as you do that, Scott. Oh, actually, we're gonna hold off on that chat room because I want to make sure we don't interrupt this at all. Uh, actually, the chat just wants to know how do you spell Foynes? Is that what you're saying? Oh, okay. Foynes, F-O-Y-N-E-S. Thank you. So at Rewa, we make our coffee fresh. It's important that we also make our cream very fresh daily for our ingredients. You're gonna add your 
coffee. And the most important part is the sugar. We use uh, fresh brown sugar, which is the exact amount. We use half an American teaspoon. Okay. So you add that. You're going to stir that up. Um, the sugar not only adds to the flavor, but it helps the cream to, uh, to float. Okay. And then how do you prepare this cream? Now this cream, uh, basically we float the cream on top. Um, I'm just gonna, this might be a little bit difficult because we have a, I might need a little bit of water. It's gone a little bit hard in the fridge, but uh, we use a uh, fresh cream that and we're going to float on top. That's just going to give it a nice, it actually should look like a pint of Guinness. Right. It's, uh, Everything looks like a pint of Guinness in Ireland, yeah. right? It's got to look like a pint of Guinness. <laughs> um, and as you float that cream, Scott, somebody else has a question regarding I'm sorry, it was just a question about the spelling. Oh, okay. Use the spoon there so to float yeah, on top. Yeah, it should float on top here. Now, again, because of uh, us leaving this in the fridge so long, it's not going to float as much as we'd like it to. That's okay. It'll taste just as good. Yeah. So what I would say to you is... Uh, and you want that on top the entire time that you're drinking Absolutely. You don't stir it in, people. Americans out there, do not take your spoon and then stir that Never in. Never stir it in. Yeah. And uh, ideally, again, with a, a traditional Foynes Irish coffee, if we had like a traditional bar set up now, this coffee would have a, it would be textured black. It would be a perfect head cream. Um, I'll actually let you try it. Okay. Um, because I don't want it to sink and, and you not have the proper presentation. And again, as you see, well, I don't know how close you can see on this, but the white stays on top if you do it properly. A little, yeah. a little cloudy here because of the fact that it's cold, but that's it. you should be sipping the coffee through the layer of the cream. You sip it through the layer of the cream, and, and anyone that orders an Irish coffee would, would definitely not, you know, should not stir it, and uh, it, it should be, as I said, look like a little pint of Guinness, is right. the best way to describe it. And then this glass says Foynes right that's on it. That's Foynes, Foynes original, original coffee. Irish coffee. I don't yeah. know how close we can get up to that. Well, maybe I should drink a little more, and that'll help you. Yeah. So... Yeah, if we can, I don't know if we can get a close-up on that, but maybe, perhaps, perhaps before the end of the day, we will get a close-up <laughs> on this little Foyne's glass. Anyway, so, so that is drinking an Irish coffee. That's drinking an Irish coffee, yeah. Now, if we were, and I'm not hinting that we need to do this, but if we were to do a shot, what is the appropriate Irish toast to do a shot of whiskey? An Irish toast, uh, you know what, maybe, in, uh, honestly, Irish toast, I would say, made it, you know, You'll be in heaven before the devil know your dead is, is right. a traditional one I use. Uh, a very big one in, in uh, Galway, where my family from, is Neil Tintan or Don Tintan Fane. It's Gaelic. Okay. And it's just a toast to people over in America to say there's no place like home. And it is, say it again slowly. Uh, <laughs> it's Neil Tintan, Maradon Tintan Fane. And that's Ask Gaelga. Neil Tintan. Neil Tintan. Nara folk. Nara. You know what, you people can look that up. Have a few shots of whiskey and you'll get it. Okay, you guys can look that up. Anything else we need to know about drinking in an Irish pub? Obviously, everyone drinks Guinness. Guinness is, particularly in our bar, we take great pride in it. The Guinness is excellent there. We also have different Irish drafts. We have Smittix Irish Ale, 
uh, harp Irish lager. Um, there's also interest, we have a Magnus Irish cider um, and a Kilkenny cream ale. Um, drinking in Irish pub, mixed drinks in Irish pubs with regards to drafts. We like to, Irish Americans like to mix ale and uh, lager, black and tans. Right. Harp and Guinness, half and halves, and uh, I, I've noticed, in, especially in Vegas, uh, black velvet's really popular. I, I like black velvet. Yeah. I used to drink them back in New York quite a bit. I didn't know if it was traditional Irish. A black velvet, of course, is you mix um, Guinness with cider. Yep. And is that traditional in Ireland? It's not traditional in Ireland. I've seen it, but it, it's, it's, uh, it's more popular here stateside. Okay. It's more popular here stateside. And we've, um, got, we've got another question. Uh, we do. Jackie has recovered from her faint <laughs> and uh, says another Irish uh, toast is slancha. Slancha, yeah. Slancha. That's a traditional Irish toast. That means cheers. Um, that's probably the most popular Irish toast and, and the most common you'll hear throughout Irish bars. Okay. Now, when you drink Irish whiskeys, when I order a whiskey, how should I order it? Do we do it in shots? Do we do it on the rocks? How, how's the best way to drink um, Irish The best way to drink Irish whiskey, uh, this actually... Oh, wait, we have some. Perhaps you could show us the best there way. There you go. There we go. This is the greatest show. I'm telling you, we have, Scott, seriously, man, do I bring booze to every show? And is it a different type of booze every time, man? I, you... oh, we're keeping you on the network. That's right. That's why I'm still here. So, again, this is what kind of whiskey? And then tell me how you would normally order it. This is Paddy Irish whiskey, um, distilled in the uh, old Middleton distillery. Um, Preference-wise with whiskeys is, I would say that any person drinking whiskey at any bar is how you like it. There's no particular way, whether you like it with two cubes of ice or straight. Um, I, I, I like, I'll drink whiskey neat. So would you like to try it that way? By all means. There you go. And in this type of glass, basically. This is a Waterford crystal water glass. glass. Uh, we have them specifically designed for real Irish pub. Uh, we use them for a lot of our high-end whiskeys. And uh, we have a nice little collection from there in our whiskey bar. So if you stop in, we have, uh, we'll have them glasses and 104 whiskeys, see if you can make your way through them. Okay. All right. Okay. And so. I won't use this jigger because I already have a whiskey in it. Okay. I'm sure you're happy I'm free pouring, so. No problem. There you go. And give me the, um, the shorter of the two toasts yeah. that I might remember. So let's say we're drinking together. We'd say schlange. Schlange? Schlange. Schlange. All right. That's a very nice whiskey. Good, right? Very nice whiskey. Um, last thing, I guess, I want to ask you as a bartender, the, um, the shamrock on top of the Guinness. Yeah. Is that, you know, because I actually, I poured Guinness one day. I, I said, not personally, but I set a Guinness world record for the most Guinness poured in one day. Guinness did the Fla concert here right. in New York City. And we had, I'd say probably about, we had a full trailer full of kegs. And my job for about, a, about an hour of every day was to stand in the refrigerated trailer. Now keep in mind, it's 120 degrees out there, you know, outside. Yeah, and then you got to go in the refrigerated trailer. And I was literally popping a keg every minute. I mean, because we had about 80 taps going and it was crazy. But I never learned, they, they gave us a lot of lessons on how to pour Guinness, but I never learned how to do the shamrock. Is that important? Should I expect a shamrock when I'm in your pub? We can give you a shamrock, absolutely. Um, pretty basic. Uh, if I was to teach a bartender, actually the, the most simplest way to teach someone is, uh, let's say this is your, your Guinness mm -hmm. pint glass. Um, you draw a figure eight, you give it a head and a tail. Okay. Right? Now, over time, when you get practice, you kind of, people start to give it its little clover edge and stuff, but uh, 
a little bit of practice, pouring them and drinking them, and you'll get it. Okay, great. Well, looks like we are about done chatting about Irish pubs today. Um, we've only got one email. Again, I'd like to encourage people to email us with any questions they might have about Las Vegas food in general. This is not necessarily your cup of tea, but I thought you might want to stick around and maybe help me answer if you have an opinion. No problem. Absolutely. Um, I've got an email from a woman named Linda, and she says she's coming to Las Vegas. They, her and her husband prefer seafood restaurants. They've already eaten at Bartolota in um, Wynn, which is an absolutely incredible seafood restaurant. And is there any other restaurant that I would recommend for seafood? Do you have any? For, for Linda? Yes. Um, if she wants to have a great night, mm. she could stop into RM at Mandalay Bay. Absolutely. Uh, stop in with her husband, have some uh, nice seafood there, stop into Riva then for some uh, drinks afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. I'd definitely tell you RM, incredible. It's a little different than what Paul does over at Bartolota. Rick Moonen, actually a personal friend of mine. RM upstairs is super fine dining. You'll have incredible food. It's not pure seafood. They have other things on the menu as well. Just got a new, um, new head chef, Anthony Fusco, who's great. You can read um, my interview with him in a recent AOL Cities Best. Also, if you really like Bartolota and you want the same type of food, something but just a little different, instead of the Italian edge on the fresh Mediterranean seafood, if you want a Greek edge, I would recommend you go over to Milos, um, Estiatorio Milos in um, the new Cosmopolitan. Absolutely incredible. It can be a little pricey at dinner time, so my big hint to you is if you want to save money and get that high quality food, go for their lunch deal Monday through Friday. You get three course meal for only $20.11. The absolute best deal in town. So there you go, people. Um, hopefully that answered your questions. Again, if you have any other questions, please email us at food at vegasvideonetwork.com. We will be back next week with more food and hopefully more whiskeys or sakes or whatever else. <laughs> and again, if you um, missed our first two episodes, check them out on iTunes. You can, they're archived over there, and you can see us eat and drink all kinds of other stuff. Thanks a lot for coming hey, down. Thanks. I appreciate your time. Absolutely.